At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Thanks for tuning into our series, The Follower's Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus, where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As we walk through Jesus' farewell discourse to his followers in the book of John, we'll learn to follow in the steps of Christ as he marks out the way of discipleship for us. Now, I want to begin this morning uh, by taking you back a few weeks. I'm actually going to take you back to uh, something that happened to me that I think really offers a glimpse of what we're looking at in God's Word today. And perhaps this thing has happened to you before. I uh, walked into my local Kroger store, wanted to get some produce, and there wasn't any. I mean, literally, like I went to the salads, I went to the specific fruit that I wanted. They did not have any fruit. The fruits and vegetables that I stopped to get were simply not there. They were gone. I came looking for produce, a specific kind, mind you. The entire section wasn't void, but a specific kind that, you know, most of us would enjoy, and uh, it wasn't there. You just have that time where you kind of have something on your mind and something on your taste buds you're really excited about eating and it's not there. Pretty disappointing. Now, I can lament the uh, cultural scenarios that may have played into that. Well, you could say, well, wait a minute, that's a supply chain issue, that's a distribution issue, that's an issue of willing workers or perhaps a lack of them. There, there's a number of different things that I can look at and kind of point to what may have happened, but here's what I know happened. They didn't have the produce. <laughs> That's what I know. I left the grocery store without the fruits and the vegetables that I came to get. Now, in Mark's gospel, the author tells us the story of Jesus who had a similar fruit story. He was wildly disappointed, just like I was. Mark 11 tells us the story of Jesus being hungry, and he approaches this fig tree. He wants some fruit. Problem was, the fig tree was not in season, so it was not bearing figs in the moment. Instead of fruit, what he got was leaves. Now, what happens next in that particular text may surprise you a little bit. It may rattle your cage just a little. Here's what it says in Mark chapter 11, verse 14. It says, and he, Jesus, said to it, the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Wow. It seems kind of intense, doesn't it? Let's go down a little more in the text. On the same day Jesus entered the temple in Jerusalem, what was he looking for? He wasn't looking for figs. He was looking for spiritual fruit in that moment. And instead he found money changers. He found hearts filled with greed. And so what should have been a place of worship was actually turned into what the Scriptures say is a den of robbers. Any of you who've read the New Testament might be familiar with this story. This is where Jesus comes in and overturns the tables. Same text, Mark chapter 11 and 
12, and that's kind of where you see this happening. But in two separate stories, we read of Jesus having a very intentional and rather intense response to a lack of fruit. This is not the Jesus that you see manicured and a little cartoon drawing in your children's Bibles. What we see is Jesus desiring spiritual fruit. Don't miss that desire. Don't just gloss over that and think, well, Jesus was having a bad day. No, he has a strong desire for spiritual fruit. Now, church family, in just a moment, we're going to look at our text, what we've been working through in the Gospel of John. And what we're going to find is Jesus' teaching on spiritual fruit. But before we turn there, let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge you today as our God and our King. We acknowledge you as holy and sovereign. We acknowledge that you are God and that we are not. Today we are going to submit our hearts to a passage of your word that you have given us through your son Jesus. And God, it is my prayer as I pray for myself, as I pray for my brothers and sisters here today, that we would have humble hearts towards it. That we would acknowledge this, this text as truth. And it is a truth that has meaning and significance for every single person here today. God, so we need eyes to see this truth. We need ears to hear this truth. And then, God, we want to walk out this truth in the week ahead. And so we humbly approach you and ask that you would allow it to penetrate our hearts today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Wait Lake family, we have uh, reached the midway point of our 10-week sermon series called The Follower's Trail Guide. Now, throughout this series, you've heard myself and Pastor Kevin last week as we are trying to understand, trying to follow the final counsel that Jesus gives to his followers. Now, I say final counsel because this happens and this is what he's communicating to his friends shortly before he would give his life as a ransom for many upon the cross. So the text we're looking at is what's often called the farewell discourse because, again, he's ready to leave. So the words that Jesus gives in John's gospel, they align, interestingly, they align with the actions that we just talked about in Mark's gospel. And the teaching that we're going to hear today is clear and concise, and it is profound for everyone who is listening. Because disciples of Jesus should have fruitful lives. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ today, you should produce fruit. Now, let's grab our Bibles, turn to John's Gospel to see exactly what it is that we're talking about today. And we're talking about 
John chapter 15. We're going to start it at verse 1. John chapter 15, verse 1. You're going to find that on page 901 in your ESV church Bibles. If you do not have a Bible, we would love to give you one. Or in this moment, please follow along on the screen behind me. Here's what John uh, captures of what Jesus says. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. So whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and they are burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And so as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love, and if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy, that it may be full. That's where we're going to stop. Church, there's so much for us to unpack in those verses. We could spend the rest of the day here digging into it. But what I want us to do is focus on two specific responses that Jesus seeks from you and from me, that he seeks from his people, that we would take from his words, and that we would ultimately experience in our lives and then see much fruit. And the first one is this, that God's people must recognize our purpose. We must recognize our purpose in Jesus. Let's look more closely at those first three verses. Here's what Jesus says. He says, I am the vine, excuse me, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why? That it may bear more fruit. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So Jesus begins with another I am statement. Now, if you've been reading along with us in John's gospel, you will recognize that there have been I am statements throughout this text, throughout the farewell discourse. It's I am, and then he explains. He connects it here with a metaphor that carries a great deal of historical significance. You see, numerous times in the Old Testament, God's chosen people, the Israelites, and their mission was spoken of using the image of a vine. Numerous times. But none more powerful, I would say, than Isaiah chapter 27, verse 6. Here's what it says. 
It says, in days to come, Jacob shall take root. And Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with what? Oh, that's not good enough. Fill the whole world with what? Fruit. You see, God's desire has always been that His people would be fruitful and would fill the earth for His glory. That's the way it's always been. But church, there's more to our text. In this text, Jesus also unites Himself with the Father. This is why He says, I am the true vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. Or another way to say this might be, the Father is the gardener. Simply put, what this means is that the Father is the one working from the beginning to prune and to prepare the vine for its ultimate purpose in the world. It is a powerful and beautiful image. I want you to grab a hold of both the power and the significance of it, but also the beauty of it. But if you're like me, you can read a truth like this and still wonder, well, that's awesome. I love that imagery. It is powerful. It is beautiful. But what does it have to do with me? How does it impact the way I experience an authentic journey of faith? Well, church, I want to keep that imagery going because that's what Jesus does in our text. He says, those who are in Christ by faith, Jesus refers to them as branches. Branches. Now, to be clear, branches are not the vine, but a branch cannot live without the vine. Branches live or die based upon their connection to the vine. And so Jesus uses imagery here that is so clear, so powerful, and it's a perfect picture for you and I to grab a hold of because you and I see it in our own lives. We see it all around us. Vines extend out and extend out to branches. And then off that branch comes fruit. There is fruit born from branches. It happens through God's people. Now here's a question for us to consider today. Do we truly believe what Jesus has just taught us about the vine and the branches? I mean, we can say that is a great story. Love the imagery there. But do we believe it? And I'm not talking about some intellectual way. I'm talking about in practical, tangible ways in your life and in mine. Do we believe it? Through our faith in Jesus Christ, we are called to bear fruit for God's glory. Do you believe it? That's the right answer, by the way. <laughs> if you believe it, if you believe that as a branch through faith in Christ, you are being used of God for His kingdom, let me ask you to take one more step, kind of take another step in that process. Where is He using you? On the job? In your marriage? How about your family life? 
You know, Jacob talked about it, and we've been talking about it for a number of weeks. This is why we are doing talk about family discipleship, because we believe with everything in us that parents have tremendous influence in the lives of their children, as do grandparents. And so through us, the branches, we should see fruit. We should see fruit. Let me be specific about something. It begins with a personal faith in Jesus Christ. That's where this text begins. If you have repented of your sin, you'd say, I'm moving away from that. I am repenting of that. I'm turning 180 degrees. I'm going to believe in Jesus and the gospel. You'd say, I'm trusting in Jesus and Him alone for my salvation. I'm casting aside works. I'm casting aside efforts. I cannot earn God's favor and God's love. If that is true of you, then you are connected to the vine. And if you are connected to the vine, that means you are a branch. And you know what's coming next. If you are a branch, you should bear much fruit. That leads us to an all-important question, doesn't it? You'd say, Pastor, I have that. I get it. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. How? How am I going to do that? Well, let's return to our text and see what Jesus tells us on the how question. Look at verses 4 through 6. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. For I am the vine and you are the branches, verse 5. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and they are burned. Church, this gives us the second opportunity for response. The second response that God wants from his followers is that we would remain in Jesus. That's why I place such an important emphasis on the beginning of if you have faith, because we are called to remain and abide in Christ. And so to remain and abide in Christ is both a one-time thing and an ongoing consistent experience. Let me explain this, and I'm going to use kind of two theological terms. I want you to say the first term with me, justification. Ready? Justification. Here's what it is. All who repent of sin and believe upon Jesus, you are then saved. You have become born again. That's the theological term justification. It's a one-time transaction. You humbly come before your God. You acknowledge your sin, your need for a Savior, and in that moment, God extends His amazing love and His amazing grace to you. Christ's work now covers you. You are justified. So that's the one-time thing, and Christ says to us, He says, remain in that. Remain in that truth. Now, here's the second word. You guys ready? Excellent. Second word is sanctification. Ready? 
This is once you've placed your faith in Jesus, you begin the spiritual journey. That journey is called sanctification. Once you've been saved and redeemed, then you lean in, you rest upon Christ for the good times, the mountaintop experiences, as well as the valley times in our lives. And trust me, if you were on a journey, you will experience both. You will experience those times that are dark and heavy and weigh you down, and that's when you still need to lean in. But then you'll come out of the valley, and you'll have a mountaintop experience. Why? Because you have leaned in. You are connected with Christ in tangible and significant ways. That is the process of sanctification. So church remaining in Jesus is both a one-time and consistent experience. But I'm guessing that some of you would say, wait a minute, Pastor, life gets hard. I mean, really, sometimes it is incredibly hard to remain. It is incredibly hard to abide. I mean, you haven't seen my family. We no longer get along like we used to. It's different. You have not seen my bills. They're mounting, and it's not getting any lighter. You don't know the pressure I have at my job. It can be tough to remain and abide in Jesus. I get it. I'm on the same journey that you are. But here's the good news. Even in the text, Jesus tells us how we can do that. Two specific ways. Practically speaking, the first way is through the Word and prayer. Look at verses 7 and 8. Jesus says, if you abide in me, and if my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you would bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. My words, Jesus tells his friends. He said, that's what you need to do to remain in, in me to love him, to follow him, to follow the plan that he has set for you, Jesus says, you have to know my word. It must guide your every step. Now, right here is where I want to hit the pause button. I want us to consider a couple of cultural things for a moment when we're talking about knowing the plan, knowing the next step, all right? Uh, some of us this afternoon and are going to go home and waste our afternoon, I mean, watch the lions, But what we're going to find is that our high-powered offense, a bit, a bit shocking, frankly, our high-powered offense is going to go up against our former coach. Now, here's what I want you to picture. I want you to picture Jared Goff walking into the huddle in the moment and saying, okay, guys, we're going to run this play. And they just stare at him. What do you mean? What are you talking about? No, no, I want to run this. I don't know what that is. I didn't read the playbook. It's not good. It's not good if you don't read the playbook. Let me take it out of the professional realm. Let's bring it down to some of our high schoolers. Let's go to the drama room at the high school. Drama students. It's the big night. 
The end of the semester is here. The production is before us. Family and friends are dressed up nice. They're sitting in the crowd in the audience. They're ready to watch you. Energy's high in the room. But the students haven't memorized a word. They don't know the script. It's going to make an incredibly awkward performance. Now, some of you would say, well, Pastor, those examples are a bit ridiculous. I know. They are. But here's what's also ridiculous, that many of us come to our faith in the exact same way. We want to try to walk out our faith, and we say, man, I do not understand why I'm having such a hard time doing this, why I'm not able to abide in Christ. Jesus says, you've got to know my word. My word has to abide in you. You see, when it comes to walking in God's ways daily and consistently, we have no idea how to do it unless we're abiding in Jesus, and in His Word. Listen to the words of the psalmist in Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your Word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments, for I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Church, we remain with Jesus. We abide with Jesus when we regularly commune with Him in His Word. Now, many of us would say, yeah, I agree with that. I have an intellectual agreement with that, but what does that mean for me? Well, let me just walk you through uh, a day in the life of Woodside White Lake. It's happening right now in our kids' ministry as they're learning about Joseph from the book of Genesis. Right now, that's what's going on in that wing of our church. It's happening in our student ministries tonight as they're going to be engaging with the book of Revelation and they're going to be learning about the new heavens and the new earth. Kids, students. It's happening with adults on Wednesday night as a group of about 40 of us are reading through the New Testament together. This week we've been reading through Acts in a class and experience called Immerse. It happens in our life groups almost every night of the week. People engage with God's Word. Church family, we have many opportunities for you to engage in God's Word, that you would be, have an opportunity to read it regularly and consistently. And I want you to know as your pastor, it is my desire that you would remain in Christ, that you would abide in Christ through His Word. Now, church, there's one other way. There's one more specific way in our text that you and I can abide in Jesus through love and obedience. Look at verses 9 through 11. And so as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, church family, we 
We stay connected with our God. We remain in our God when we keep His commandments, when we walk in the ways that He has taught us to walk. Now, church, you've heard me say this a thousand times, and I'm going to say it again. We seek not to keep His commandments to earn God's favor. We already have that in Christ. If you were in Christ today, that is where you have God's favor. Instead, right here, what Jesus is highlighting is the way to an authentic, vibrant relationship with Him. This is the way. The truth is, we earn nothing from loving God and being obedient. Now, you'd say, well, wait a second, Pastor. Why did you highlight that as a point then? You just told me to, be, to love God and, and be obedient. We don't earn anything. Instead, what we get to experience is the fruit of Christ's faithfulness. He was faithful in ways that you and I are not. And so in Him, when we remain and abide in Christ, we experience that faithfulness. So here's what it looks like. Instead of carrying the weight of performance, we receive God's perfect act of sacrifice on the cross on our behalf. Instead of the guilt of sin, God gives us His mercy so we don't get what we actually deserve. And instead of condemnation, we receive God's grace so that we get what we do not deserve in its place. We get His smile upon us. We get His favor because of Jesus and His faithfulness. I want to close with a great quote from a 19th century missionary leader by the name of Andrew Murray. I think he helps us see the way this all connects as we abide in Christ. Here's what he writes. He says, all that the branch possesses belongs to the vine, all of it. The branch does not exist for itself. It does not exist for itself, but to bear fruit that proclaim the excellence of the vine, it has no reason for existence except to be in service to the vine. We exist to bring glory to the vine. And this is why Jesus desires that all of us, every single one of us who are in Christ today, He desires that we would abide in Him because that's the only way that you and I will bear fresh, healthy fruit in our lives. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.